Episode 1122, Kooky Christmas, Follow That Star. Welcome to the Sci-Fi Christian, bringing you theology at warp speed. I'm Matt Anderson. I'm Ben Bono. We're back. We're back, and Happy New Year, everybody. Happy New Year. I realized I never explained last week's title. Up on the rooftop. Yeah, that's interesting. I figured it had to do with the fact that we're talking about UFOs. Yeah. And you're in there in the sky. Yeah. Is that about it? Uh, it's a C minus title, I'll admit, but I had to have some kind of a Christmas tie in. Yeah, it has to tie into the and Christmas so, carols, right? Yeah. Well, I figured if you're going to get abducted, that's where it would happen. That's, that's, that's a <laughs> likely that's a, place. So let that be uh, a warning for you. Don't go on your yeah. rooftops. Although, I, I this is a judge free zone, judgment free yeah. zone. You titled the episode Up on the Rooftop, but I'm pretty sure the song that you're referencing is Up on the Up on the Housetop. Isn't it Up on the Housetop? Oh, is it? Well, I, I like to say that you can be abducted from any roof, any not roof just or a house. house. Yeah, I don't want to discriminate against the... people who live in apartments. Yeah, I'm pretty sure it's Up on the Housetop, but, you know. I'm pretty sure it's not. Okay. I And I think that we need to solve this. Uh, up on the rooftop, reindeer paws. Down comes dear old Santa Claus. <laughs> let me, let me, am I wrong? Yeah. I always thought it was up on the housetop. I'm pretty sure. All right. You Google it and find I mean, this is great for the radio. Wow. No, I I think you might be right. We kept it, though. Wait. Uh Actually, could it be both ways? I think it might be both ways. So some people sing up on the housetop, and some people sing up on the rooftop. Yeah, so there's a Gene Audrey version that's up on the housetop. Oh, and look at this. I even have a version of the lyrics that has up on the rooftop slash housetop. All right, good. So So we're both right. Oh, interesting. But this is, so according to these lyrics, it's a deep dive on up on the (laughs) rooftop. Reindeer paws. I always thought it was like the reindeer's paws. Feet. Yeah, which I guess yeah. would be more hoofs, uh, but it, it means that, that they are coming to a stop. Yes, that also makes sense. Yes. All right. Wow, we learn. Well, we're learning so much about hit this. that music. <laughs> so, anyway, tonight, so, well, what are we following the star for? Well, so tonight, I, I think it's actually gonna. We're gonna tie this back into last week's episode. Uh, we'll get there, but so it, it, in a sense, this is maybe the first ever kooky Christmas two-parter. Hmm. I don't want to say they're two parts because I think you could listen to either one, but I think they'll they'll nest inside of each other like Santa in a chimney very, very neatly. Uh, but what I wanted to go to tonight is the, is actually talk about, uh, we're going to start at Christmas, meaning the actual Christmas story. So this upcoming weekend is the Feast of the Epiphany. And do you know what the Epiphany is, liturgically speaking? Mm-mm. So the Epiphany celebrates the arrival of the wise men to visit Jesus. Uh, and the wise men, I think, like a lot of different uh, biblical things, especially if you grew up in the church, or maybe even if you just grew up culturally because of the nature of Christmas and you know we three kings and all of that, is that you, you sort of just grow up with, inherit all these ideas about— um, the wise men or things like that. I think Noah's Ark is one I've cited before where everybody, you know, like the, that 
gets cited with uh, kids all the time because there's cuddly animals and, and realize that it's basically the death of the entire human race. It's, it's rather a violent story. Um, and so, like, there's some things when you have stories like that in the Bible that you just grow up with and then you don't ever stop and think about them. And then when you finally do stop and think about them, uh, they actually stand out as quite peculiar. And the reason the wise men stands out for me is that the more you think about it, the odder this story is in the Bible. So you have X number, not necessarily three, though we're told that they bring three gifts. Uh, but, you know, people get into that or, or not. I don't I don't care if you, you want to think that there's ten wise men or three or whatever, but they come from quote-unquote far away it's like there's very unspecific and they get there by following a star that leads them to the birthplace of jesus you know we're all very familiar with this um and i think theologically speaking part of what's going on here is that within the nativity narratives we have the entrance of the Gentiles, even at that point. Of course, Christ and the Church will uh, bring about the union of the Jews and the Gentiles in, in the age of the Church. So it's actually very profound theologically uh, that it's it's in there. But some of the details are very unsettling uh, when you actually stop and, and think about them. Number one, uh, they're not actually the wise men. They're typically called the Magi. And the root there is the same as magic. Or magicians. Or magicians. And number two, they're following a star, which if we scratch at that just a tiny bit, these are astrologers. And so this this is unsettling because we have people who are magicians, which is a category of people that are ruled out of christian dogma um interesting side note in there like that's even why when the the merlin myths began to uh the arthurian myths you know were christianized um merlin is the son of the devil like he he's the, the you can see uh, the mythologers wrestling with uh, merlin as a magician in there it's it's you know it has to be worked out. But you have that, and then you have them as astrologers, with astrology being another category um, that doesn't quite work. And uh, maybe most unsettling of all is that the combination of these two things, magicians who are practicing astrology, is that it actually works. <laughs> So we wind up here right at the Christmas story with a, a narrative that is deeply unchristian when you actually scratch at the surface yeah, so a little saying bit. Magic and astrology. Yes. Yes. So I I was part of what I was curious about with this uh is that, you know, astrology, I think we understand uh, is either regarded as uh, I think some Christians probably regarded as harmless fun, like like read your horoscope or whatever. But like in the Catechism of the Catholic Church, it is condemned in no uncertain terms. I think that 
uh, most, at least more more conservative denominations would in Protestantism would would also join in condemning it. It's at the very least has an occult flavor to it. Um, you know, I I certainly don't recommend, and nothing in this episode is recommending to go and practice any form of occult uh, stronger than say reading the fortune cookie at the Chinese restaurant. Which, by the way. Fortune cookies are such crap right now. I agree. They're getting worse. They're horrible. They're getting much worse. Like, they, they just have some pithy statement that nobody wants to read. They used to be kind of cool. Like, they I even used keep to be. some. Yes. Because they're like, I know it's not real, but this... Exactly. It, it, this is kind of like a cool statement. It kind of wow. That yeah. yeah, but no, they're they're just nonsense. And I bet you they're going to get even worse. They'll probably be written by Chat GPT in in the future. Oh, oh it's just awful. We'll come back to Chat GPT before this episode wow. is is over. Um. So you know, don't recommend any of that. Uh. And I think Christianity is um largely united at least historically united on this front regardless of if somebody pops open the horoscope in the paper and reads it uh is that this is a bad idea but the history of the christian tradition is a little bit more complicated than that do you know another famous christian who was really into astrology hmm i'll give you a hint somebody we've talked done hours worth of material on this show you or me? Us, to collect Dante. Yes. Dante is profoundly into astrology. He's very knowledgeable of it. And so astrology actually has this interesting history uh, within the Christian tradition in that the church fathers largely condemned it um, and condemned it on a couple of grounds. Number one, the ground that it is of the occult. Uh, and then Augustine popularized uh more of a practical condemnation of it, which Martin Luther and others would re- later re-echo uh, in the Reformation and his more or less position today. The point Augustine made, which is a, a strong one, is that if you look at Jacob and Esau in the Bible, if they're allegedly born under the same stars and the stars determine our fate, well, these are polar opposite brothers. And so how does that work? So yeah, I mean, I, I think there's some practical considerations, but Outside of that, the history of astrology within the Christian tradition um, seems to be one that around the medieval period kind of enjoyed this renaissance. And I think in Dante's case, uh, what we see him doing is baptizing it in the same way that we uh, he baptized every other part of mythology within there. Um, and so it's very interesting to me from from the perspective of the comedy, the way that astrology and fate and all of these things show up uh, in a, a very profound way. Uh, you know, and you can look at that and say, well, you know, this was a blip on the radar. Otherwise, the Christian tradition uh, is largely in condemnation of this, if not, you know, at least not recommending it to people. And and I, I certainly agree with that. I'm certainly not coming from that perspective. But what is interesting to me is to go back to the story of the Magi, is that they go and practice this. And uh, Augustine and Martin Luther's objections about Jacob and Esau aside, it seems to work. And Dante, I don't think it's an accident. Uh, also, uh, granted, he's he's 
writing a, a narrative, but he speaks of astrology in a practical way and as, to the point where the final word of every uh, can, canticle in the, in, the, in the comedy is stars. And so like there's this, uh, I think that, that to truly understand astrology, regardless of what it is or isn't and what you should or shouldn't do with it, and again, I do want to repeat, you should not mess around with it like you have to appreciate the ancient world a little bit and especially the fact that when we talk about the stars uh the ancients lived and not even all that ancient but the pre-moderns lived in a radically different world in relationship to the stars than we do like we you know see a, a tiny fraction especially those of us who live near cities see a tiny fraction of the stars whereas like the ancient world we we understand this going back to our some of the uh um Graham Hancock episodes we did, I think, last year, or maybe that was two years ago now, I don't remember, um, talking about like the megalithic structures that are centered around the stars. Like the ancient world is radically into this. And uh, if we're to take the biblical narrative seriously, we're supposed to conclude from the Bible about uh, maybe not supposed to, but we can conclude from the Bible regarding astrology that number one, we shouldn't practice it. And number two, sometimes it works. And that's a little bit unsettling, I think. Um, now, obvious caveat here in the sense that God can use anything and God can make anything work. But I think that we sometimes use that when we're looking at the ancient world and the biblical world as a little bit of a cop-out, meaning that, well, God carved out this one particular instance um, with this star that led the, the Magi to Christ, and I certainly believe God is involved in what's happening in that narrative. But I also, if I'm to put on my kooky Christmas hat for a little bit, um, have a hard time truly buying the Jacob and Esau objection to the hilt, meaning that we have a practice that obsesses, doesn't just exist in the world, but obsesses the world and cultures across the world for possibly tens of thousands of years, depending on how old we want to think human civilization is. And you can refer back to previous kooky Christmas episodes to learn that it's perhaps quite older than, than we tend to think it is. And uh, similar to other things that we've looked at, be it DMT episodes, be it sleep paralysis, I have a hard time getting past that, or UFOs last week, getting past that type of occurrence and say that if... Everything about astrology in this case is completely bogus. In other words, it's not just that you shouldn't do it, it's that you shouldn't do it and it's a waste of time because it doesn't work. I have a really hard time buying both the breadth across uh, human cultures and the depth across time that seems to exist with practices of this. And so once again, this is where I say this complements last week's episode, we're led back into a world that seems far stranger than maybe we are prepared to admit. You're, th you're saying things are bigger than we can see. Yes, Yes. There's more happening than we can see. 100%. And I think that, that maybe to, to help us see this, uh, we, need to, 
we need to appreciate something about the biblical worldview. And we've talked about this a little bit in the past, but let's, let's open this up in the context of Kooky Christmas, which is that we think of Christianity as a monotheistic religion, right? And the opposite of that would be polytheism, you know, which was where those of you who are reading along with us in the Iliad kind of have a glimpse into that type of worldview. And one of the problems here is that our terms have gotten both better specified over the millennia and the centuries, but in so doing have become retroactively confusing. Let me explain what that means. What do we mean by the word God? Well, if we're to answer that in the way that I think that the monotheistic religions of today, Judaism, Islam, Christianity, would answer, we're, we're going to wind up with some version of what Aquinas is getting at in the Summa, that when we think about God, it and if we're going to say that there is a God, it's going to logically follow that there is only one God. You can only have one God using that word in the way that we mean the word God. If God is infinite, if God is all-powerful, if, you know, all these things that Aquinas uh, piles on, you wind up with a definition of God that only allows for monotheism, meaning that whatever else there is out there in spiritual realms and physical realms, there's only one first mover. There's only one, um, you know, non-contingent being, and there really only can be one from that perspective. Okay, so, so that's great. But what's confusing is that if we crack open the Iliad, or literally any other ancient text, including the Old Testament, we'll get to that in a second, that's not the definition of the word God that is being employed. It's actually something closer to the Greek pantheon uh, on Zeus. And even like if we're to think of Zeus as the father god of the Greek pantheon, he's really not. If we're to go back into our Greek myths, there's, you know, a whole hierarchy of gods before him. Yeah, Cronus, Cronus is father. Is exactly. You know, and there's ultimately you back that up and you get to chaos. And this is how all of our ancient creation myths uh, tend to work. So... We have to accept a couple of things about that. We have to accept that uh, not that we should throw away our definition of God in, in the Aquinas sense of the word, but that, the, that God, to the extent that he revealed himself to ancient people, did so in the context of a world where God meant something very, very different. Why does that matter? Well, it matters because if you want an accurate reading of the Old Testament, you really need to take off your monotheistic eyes. Now, to be clear, this doesn't mean that the that God in the Old Testament is saying that he literally is a God in the sense of Zeus or those other gods, but he presents himself as of that sort, meaning that what we have in the Old Testament is not monotheism but is two words that you should put in your arsenal. One, one of them is henotheism, and one of them is monolatry. Henotheism is the belief, and they're both present in the Old Testament. Henotheism is the belief in a variety of gods, but the worship of one, though perhaps not exclusively. So, for example, if you can think of this story when... Um, Jacob and and Rachel are are running away from 
uh, Laban and Laban, you know, Rachel steals the household gods. Like, what are household gods? Well, that would be an example of henotheism. Like, we have special gods for our house or our tribe. Maybe we worship only them, but we also might worship other ones. Monolatry, you know, so that's present throughout the Old Testament narratives, including people who worship God. Now, it's rather unsettling. Uh, monolatry, then, by the time we advance a little bit later in the, the biblical narrative and get to uh, the Ten Commandments, like, you shall have no other gods before me. And we, we like, mythologize that in contemporary terms to be like, well, you shouldn't love God more than yourself or love your cell phone more than God. You should, you know, what gods do you have in your life? No, but uh, that's fine. Like that's, that's a fair interpretation. But when Moses comes down off the mountain, he literally means you don't get any of the other gods. It's a monolatrous commandment. It is not and this is the disturbing part, a denial of the existence of those other gods, okay? Now, again, because we have refined our understanding of what we mean by the word God, we can say that there is no other God. But if we're to use the term, and this is where I say the, the clarity of the term creates retroactive confusion, if we use the term in the Old Testament sense, the way the Old Testament does it, there is no question that there are other gods. You You're, just shouldn't worship them. You mean other beings of power? Yes. Okay. Yes. So do you think, just in your interpretation here, that who we would call God the Father is one of equal standing? Or would you say, assuming there are other beings of power, he is the top? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, there's no question about that. The, the, the Trinity is God. Period. So, like, split your understanding of the definition of that word, okay? Do you mean the definition of that word in the New Testament sense forward, the Aquinas sense, where we mean a single, all-powerful, omnipotent deity? Yes. No other gods. He's the only one, not just no other ones you worship, there's none other that exist. And it, in fact, it is logically impossible for there to be other gods of that type. Okay, But if we use the definition of God as it's used in the pre-Christian era— And I'm saying beings of power. What would you say? Yeah, I like beings of power. Okay. Angels, demons, clockwork elves, <laughs> what have you. But there's no question that all of this stuff exists. Now, it's totally valid to interpret all of this as God accommodating— the views of ancient people to reveal himself. And no doubt that is at least part of what is going on in the same way that God presents himself in anthropomorphic terms. Uh, that doesn't mean that God literally is anthropomorphic. He's just, he revealed himself there. He met humanity where humanity was at. And so there's no question that that's part of what is going on. But is that all that's going on? We look at astrology, we look at these other things, and we say, okay, that there's, and now we're, you know, tie it, let, let's merge with last week's episode here. Um, you look at today, uh, UFOs and all of this, like, is the Old Testament, in a roundabout way, speaking about the existence of spiritual beings of power that are not, certainly not God, uh, but very much exist. 
you know, and all these condemnations in, in the Old Testament knew against divination, against the occult, against astrology, against things like that. Like, why shouldn't you do those things? Is it because they distract you from God? Well, maybe, but there's lots of things that might distract you from God that aren't explicitly uh, prohibited, you know? Or is it because they work and they're evil? Like, that's a really different possibility, okay? So now, you know, we come up with this idea of we can call them non-human intelligences. Uh, and and so, like, people are like, well, this episode isn't quite kooky enough. You know, like, I need a little bit more. So let, let's, let's now bring this full circle. So let's say that we, we live in this world where these non-human intelligences existed, and continue to exist where astrology and other occult practices work and continue to work up until this day. And yes, sometimes God steps in and uses them in cases like the Magi. The fact that the Magi practiced astrology and found Jesus does not give you permission to practice astrology and find Jesus because you'll probably find Satan instead. You know, just that that's where the odds are. But there's, I think there's an unsettling thing. Like when we, it's easy for us to think about the ancient world looking that way. But one of the lies of modernism is that all of this goes away as technology and and the modern world are present. But that's not so. Like if we're just to take a, as an example our um, UFO episode, like abductions and things are, are not only still taking place, but now we talked at great length last week about how we're getting more and more confirmation that, yes, these things are actually happening without any confirmation about what they actually are. But something's going on. Things like sleep paralysis are, are still going on. But I think there's also an open question of how does this stuff work when it comes to technology? When I think about the occult, and occultic practices, a lot of what's present in them is the marriage of the physical, the material, and the spiritual. Let's think about everybody's favorite uh, demon possession tool, the Ouija board. So uh, anybody who's seen The Exorcist, or if you haven't seen The Exorcist, you know, it's like... uh, Part of the subtext of the Exorcist might be don't play around with Ouija boards. It's a bad idea. I mean, when I grew up in the church, they said that, yeah, like using a Ouija board would be opening yourself up to demons. Yeah. And I absolutely believe that. Uh, That doesn't mean that everybody who uses a Ouija board is possessed, obviously, but it does mean like, don't like that seems to be, it's very much in line with what I'm saying about astrology. It works. Don't screw around with it. Or at least it can work. Don't screw around with it. There are other gods, lowercase g, Old Testament definition. Don't screw around with them. That's a bad idea. Don't do that. Okay, this is all bad ideas. Okay, so but but if we think about occultic practices, they're really about the combination of the physical and the spiritual, meaning that if you think about what a Ouija board is, like on the one hand, there's some very basic technology employed, you know, people who are do things like woodworking, which certainly is not me. Uh, You can use tools, you can cut some innocent wood, you polish it, you do whatever it is that you do, you, you, you know, put in your little teardrop marker thing uh 
that that used to to steer the letters. You put on some paint, and voila, you have a Ouija board. It's it's suddenly it is the creation of uh, material, and then the occultic practices combines the spiritual with it. My point is the reason I'm belaboring like how do you build a Ouija board is that we similar to other things we've talked about. You can you can it sort of has this weight to it of ah Ouija board that's scary. But really, what you're just talking about is some wood that's fashioned in a way, but yet, even though it's purely the result of technological craftsmanship, and that is a technology to be able to craft uh, something like that, still can open you up to possibly demonic or other presences. Why am I belaboring that point? Well, I'm belaboring that point because one thing that I saw recently that disturbed me quite a bit is, did you know that there is now an AI-powered Ouija board that you can use? Wasn't that interesting? Okay. Um, and I told you this episode's going to get kooky. So don't throw it. Everybody has to promise they don't, they don't throw out everything else I said about AI just because I'm going to go off the deep end here because <laughs> I'm going to. Um, but the like on the one hand, you can look at that and say, well, I know a thing or two about programming and like you can easy enough to program random letter generation and word generation and you throw a little AI behind that and like there's nothing really special here. But wait a second. There's nothing really special about carving and sanding and polishing wood either, but we all agree that that can open you up to demons. Why why do we think the same doesn't apply over here? Okay? And so I I think it very much does. Like technology, modern technology can be used in occultic practices, you know, and we need to be aware of that. But then adding AI into it brings a whole other level to this because we've thrown out a number of terms for these spiritual beings, angels, demons, clockwork elves, uh, you know, spiritual beings of power. But the common one that comes up, not just in our conversations, but in in other literature is non-human intelligences. What is AI? What is AI except a non-human intelligence? Okay. Now, am I saying that AI is demonic? Not necessarily, but I'll tell you that there are serious people who are. Like, there are serious people who are are discussing and exploring that possibility that especially and by ai again let's as i've talked about previous ai episodes i don't mean like you're playing a video game and the ai is trying to hit you with a stick so your character dies we're talking about the advanced ai the ai that is moving along the spectrum towards artificial general intelligence and what happens when we use technology to create a non-human intelligence what happens when we ask that non-human intelligence to help us partake in occultic practices like what are we doing and why do we assume that all of this is safe Oh, but it helped me get my PowerPoint done. Oh, boy. Well, I'm sure glad that you damned your immortal soul for the sake of a PowerPoint. Okay, I'm going over the top there. But nevertheless, the point remains that in the same way that I think um, the, the caution from the Bible very loudly and from the, the Christian tradition, Orthodox, Catholic, Protestant, everybody is... Don't screw around with non-human intelligence. Is there something that's at least worth contemplating if we're heading down that road 
with AI and technology. Am I saying that you're opening yourself up to demons by using chat GPT? No, I'm not. Am I saying that we might be heading down some roads that are leading us in directions that sure do feel like the same occultic practices we're warned against? Yes, I do. And if you don't like that, then why the heck are you listening to Kooky Christmas? Because that's what it's all about. And I started to realize right towards the end where you're going because you I, you shared an article with me that I thought you might reference. And maybe after the, the yeah. music, you should just quickly share that about the AI that generated some satanic imagery, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I forgot about that. Yeah. I forgot about that. Yeah. So, listeners, that's all from here. I'm Matt Anderson. I'm Ben DiVono. And we're the Sci-Fi Christians signing off. But stay tuned because right now we're going to talk about an article Ben sent me this last week. Oh, I have something else to say, too. Uh, let me say this before you read the article. Yeah. Have you ever had a case happen to you, a situation where you heard somebody else saying a word and you're like, that's not how I say that word. And you realize that even though, like in my case, I'm in my 40s, you're in your late 30s, you realize for the last 40 years, I've been saying that word oh, wrong. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it happens all the time. It just happened in this episode. Oh, no. Well, maybe I was saying no, it No, you're not. I checked. So when you said the word that I say, Ouija, you said Ouija. Yeah. And I was like, oh, my gosh. I knew how it's spelled. I just have always heard Ouija, or that's how I thought it was in my mind. So I looked it up while we were talking, and guess what? That word, spelled O-U-I-J-A, can be pronounced either Ouija or Ouija. Have well, you ever heard Ouija? Yeah, like, I, I, I think it's fairly common that people that's, pronounce. I thought that was the main way, but I've never heard anybody do it your way, And but it is also correct. All right, Ben, read this article or just reference the article. Yeah, so, so I subscribe to Rod Dreher's uh, newsletter. I think Rod Dreher's a, a tremendously interesting thinker, and I, I would encourage people to uh, look him up. I've referenced him before with the Benedict Option and, and other things. Um, I certainly don't agree with him on everything. To start with, he's... Uh, orthodox i'm catholic but um you know he's he's just a, a tremendous thinker but he's referencing a twitter thread that came up uh because somebody was using chat gpt in this um just to study for some type of technical test and was asking chat gpt for sample test questions and uh the prompt in the the question was or the prompt the user gave was more questions please and ChatGPT, before returning some of those questions, returned a, I mean, you saw it, like, I don't know how you interpret it as at least not heavily occultic, if not satanic. So what you see is an image in the form of, you know, with the disgusting gloss that AI art always has to it, that has uh, various wizard-like figures who are using their wands to bow down and perform some type of ritual. And then there is a demonic figure as a, a, a horned figure um, who is ascending from the ground. Uh, and then there's various other uh, occultic and, you know, demonic imagery behind it. And ChatGPT just produces this out, out of nowhere. Um, and the user said also why did you randomly make that picture what on earth is it meant to produce and uh chat gpt's response regarding the image i apologize for any confusion it was created in response to a mistaken command and does not relate to our discussion and the user says okay well what was the mistaken command and chat gpc says 
the image was generated due to an inadvertent internal command, invoke the DALE tool like this, which was incorrectly interpreted as a request to create an image. Uh, and it goes on and on, and the, the, the long and the short of it in, in the thread is that the user doesn't ever get a satisfying answer. Um, but what's really interesting to me about this, and I'll read just a little bit of Rod Dreher's commentary on it in just a second from his newsletter, um, is that part of how I understand ChatGPT and GPT bots to work on a technological level is that there's whatever your input is to it, and then there's any number of inputs behind the scenes. Nothing terribly uh, unusual about that. Um, that's how virtually every program works forever. And you're putting in X and beneath the scenes, there's any number of things running to to produce X. But we know that there's internal commands taking place uh, within chat GPT and other GPT functions. And some of the more amusing things that have happened with this technology is people have been able to hack those commands and, you know, especially along the lines of how, you know, chat GPT won't allegedly do give you instructions on how to build a bomb, but people have figured out how to get around that by starting to reference some of those internal commands that are taking place. So when the the chatbot is saying that it was the image was created in reference to an internal command, to me, that sets off a really big red flag. What internal commands are taking place behind the scenes that lend themselves to satanic imagery? Could it be nothing? Yeah. But that should give you pause. Like, this is what's happening behind the scenes. Not like reindeer feet, like an actual. Exactly. That should get up on the rooftops. Reindeer to everyone else have pause because ChatGPT is giving us uh, satanic iconography. Okay, so let me. Let me just, it's a fairly short section of his newsletter, so I'm just going to read this whole whole paragraph. He says, you have been reading me for a bit. Know that I've become interested in the occultists and occult-adjacent tech people who believe AIs is a means through which higher intelligences communicate with us. Let me pause there because he's referencing other things, including the book that I read that I, I mentioned last time, The Encounters. So when he says people who believe AI is a means through which higher intelligences communicate with us. He's not talking about people like me who go on a kooky Christmas episode and say, chat GPT might be demonic. Stay away. He's talking about people who see this as a good thing. Okay. He's talking about people who are embracing using the technology for that purpose. And by the way, something we would think is evil. Yes. By the way, uh, the chapter in that book on AI, I found very unsettling for exactly that reason, that it's all written in a very positive manner. I like the book a lot, but it's for, uh, the tone of it is tremendously positive towards AI. Look at all the great things it can do to help us reach higher intelligences. So he's not wrong about that. So lest you think it's just uh, crazy me doing this because I had to come up with something for kooky Christmas, it's not like there's actually people involved in AI who are trying to do this. Okay. Basically they think AI is a high tech Ouija board. It, I was struck by this Twitter thread the other day 
from a man who says he was communicating with ChatGPT to prepare his medical physics exams when this image came up unprompted, and then he gives the image I described. If you read the thread, the user asked ChatGPT why it produced the image. The AI gave somewhat evasive answers, saying it responded mistakenly to what it thought was a command. But still, why that image? I read it as a Luciferian invitation of the transfiguration, the iconic image of which is this. And then he gives reproduces an actual icon of the transfiguration and he's right it, it very much does look like an ai take on the transfiguration i don't know maybe i'm overinterpreting it you know how i am about this stuff what do you think some people say this has to be a random thing because ai is a closed system one that can only work with material it has been given that's just it though what if it's not a closed system what if there are intelligences interacting with it am i saying that's what's happening no but I think we'd be very foolish to rule that out. So again, I say uh, you can format your own PowerPoint, maybe use a little caution before we, let's just run through the list, A, erode our humanity, B, potentially end the world, and C, invoke demons. Like now we just have another one on the pile of reasons to not want to just run out and use AI. Is there anything in that that says a modicum of caution might be wise? Anything. Like if ending the world and eroding your humanity didn't do it, are demons going to do it? Will, will, will that get you on board with the jihad? Anyway, enough. That's kooky Christmas, everybody. Thanks for joining us and Happy New Year. Happy New Year.